Joining me now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Good morning. We talked last week, somebody had asked about a Cooper's Hawk taking a crow. And I, I feel I need to add that I did see a Cooper's Hawk one day in my yard take a hen pheasant. Now, the Cooper's Hawk male could probably not do that because he wasn't big enough. The Cooper's Hawk female was able to take a hen pheasant despite the fact that the hen pheasant was much larger and heavier than the Cooper's Hawk. Uh, So the Cooper's Hawk females are large and strong enough. I would say they could attack and even kill crows, but do they? I doubt it. And the male hawk, he'd have to be out of his mind to mess with a crow. Uh, falconers have used uh, female Cooper's hawks, I know, to hunt crows, whether they have any success. I would guess, uh, I think as I mentioned, if they got crows, they'd be the young crows, juvenile crows that just hadn't figured things out, or a crow that was incapacitated uh, due to illness or injuries. If uh, Cooper's hawk, if you're going to take a crow, you got to be really sure you're going to get it, because if you're not sure, you could be endangered. You could be injured. Uh, there was a, uh, oh, I can't remember where I read this. Some years ago about a Cooper's hawk knocked to the ground by two American crows and, and I believe, killed. So crows are no easy. I wouldn't want to mess with a, a flock of crows. They're just... Uh, they're, aren't they a murder of crows? They're not a flock. Aren't they murder, <laughs> right? Well, they're a, yep, they're a flock and a murder bull. Oh, so. okay. And they do mob. So if you're a Cooper's hawk and you're after a crow, you don't, you're probably not just dealing with that one crow. You're dealing with, as you say, that whole murder of crows is there and say, hey, buddy. You're going to mess with our brother here. You're going to mess with all of us. So, I There was a recent study from a wind energy facility in Norway that found that painting one blade on a wind turbine black significantly reduced bird mortalities due to collisions. And it was an 11-year study, so it had plenty of years in, but the problem was that it was just at a really small number of turbines, a really, really small number. So it needs more study, but it's uh, it's cool that they're finding these things that might work. But again, I guess before I get too excited and happy about it, I'd better wait for more study. <laughs> and uh, uh, bad news, like, uh, we need more bad news. Uh, biologists from New Mexico State University and White Sands Missile Range have been examining dead migratory birds there. And over the past few weeks, various species of these migratory birds are dying in unprecedented numbers of unknown causes. But the biologists guessed the cause might involve the fires ravaging the western United States and dry conditions in New Mexico. They think that the birds might have been pushed out before they were ready to migrate, and they hadn't had time to put on a certain amount of fat for them to be able to survive the migration. So, sad news. Uh, Joyce Street, who lives in Hesper, there aren't many people who live in Hesper, uh, she said, I haven't had any remarkable wildlife, but I have had a deer through the yard this summer, which is new. One doe stopped for salad a couple of times in the weed patch that used to be the rock garden. 
And this year, the chipmunks didn't plant sunflower seeds in my pots and planters. Not sure why, but I appreciated the change. (laughs) I did have one of those black and yellow garden spiders on one of the peonies for a few days the other week. Hadn't seen one in years. Uh, Dale Waltz of Rochester says, as I can't remember if Dale City saw it or read it somewhere, but anyway, as people around the world stay inside to fight the spread of the coronavirus, wild animals have begun to enjoy the newfound space. And that appears to be what's happening in the metropolitan region of Mumbai in India, where a record-breaking number of flamingos have migrated, painting the wetlands pink. Oh, that'd be cool to see. And Chris Schaff, Chris, good guy, he's a county commissioner in Freeborn County. He said, I recently had someone contact me about the new windmill we approved in Glenville for the ethanol plant. One of his concerns was how windmills kill birds. All the articles I have seen, and it goes on about what he's read, and he's done a lot of research on it, Chris has. He said, I thought I'd reach out to you for what you know about this and your experience since they've been around Heartland for some time. The other item I want your opinion on, I saw a couple of sandhill cranes fly over my property in Pickerel Lake. As I got my fishing license the next day, I noticed that Minnesota has a sandhill crane hunting license. Why? Really? Said, I didn't know that either. Huh. Yeah, Chris, uh, don't they mate for life? That would be unfortunate to hunt them if that's yeah. the case. Uh, I would assume it's not for the meat. Uh, Chris, great to hear from you. Uh, he also mentioned during the COVID he'd been keeping up on his bird feeding, especially with hummingbirds. He has four feeders, also has a bunch of American red starts in his backyard this spring said, before that, I'd only seen them along the river. I finally was told they like lilacs when they're blooming. Uh, Chris, yeah, the first wind turbines in California were terrible. They just slapped them up in a hurry and put them, they were sighted. You couldn't have sighted them worse. Uh, They were right in migratory routes. They allowed perching so a hawk could perch on them and then forget where he was and fly into the blades. Uh, they aren't as bad as cell or radio towers and any other towers with guy wires. And they don't come within shouting distance of the number of birds killed by cats. Uh, but I hope they provide aid in the battle against climate change. Uh, some forest bats are killed by barrel trauma when flying near the turbines. My big question is what impact they have on nesting birds. Some prairie birds will not nest near them because they fear raptors will perch and hunt from the turbines. They just think of them as big trees. And it's probably less of a problem here. I'm going to underline probably and circle it and put a couple stars by it. It's probably less of a problem here as most of the turbines are erected on cultivated ground. So in general, there has not been as much research as there should have been. Uh, They're supposed to be doing a two-year biological survey study on the flora and fauna of the wind farms here. I'm not sure when those results will be viewable. I wish I could give you a better answer, Chris. I could go on all day on the subject, but you don't want to hear that. There is a season on sandhill cranes in northwestern Minnesota, a few counties, and the cranes do typically mate for life. 
I've had hunters tell me they're good eating. To my knowledge, I've never sampled any. I have been to wildlife game feeds, so who knows what you're eating. But they taste like the chicken. Bre- I hear they taste like chicken. <laughs> I'm sure they do, everything. and it's. <laughs> it's the breast meat, I think, is ah, all that's used. Okay. And uh, I love seeing American red starts in Mexico. I was told they're candelitas, little candles. And it's a good year for hummingbirds in my yard, too, if only they could get along. Uh, Rita Granson was in Parker's Woods, which is a wonderful place in uh, Cerro Gordo County in Iowa, Mason City. And... She found 22 warbler species in one day, including a female black-throated blue, several golden-winged warblers, mourning Cape May, Blackburnian bay-breasted, and a hooded warbler. Said she also had quite a few Swainson thrushes, a gray cheek thrush, wood thrush, and a very many vireos, yellow-throated, blue-headed warbling, filly, and red-eye. She's had soggy purple finches at her feeder for several days and several broad-winged hawks. Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee sent me many photos of warblers. He's a wonderful photographer, and he has a water feature. And he has a, I don't, a little garden. Oh, I don't know if that's the right term, if it's a garden shack or not. A small building where he can sit with his camera and watch all these guys, uh, these beautiful warblers, come into that water feature and snap photos. So he has a a permanent blind, as it were. Uh, Judy Myers uh, sent me a note. Uh, I'd sent something to her, her husband, Ted, a doctor here in Albert Lee for many, many years, had passed away. And Ted was uh, uh, just a, a marvelous uh, what a caring guy. He was uh, had that perfect attitude to be a doctor because he just seemed to care so much. And he went. He and I went to Costa Rica together. And she said, uh, I know Ted will return with the goldfinches next spring. It is not that they are so spectacular. It's that they are so trustworthy, just like Ted. Thanks for helping us enjoy the birds. So, well, thank you, Judy. I'll miss Ted a lot. Uh, Sue Steele of Albert Lee uh, just moved into town, said she's seeing sandhill cranes, has an albino squirrel with a red eye in her yard. Uh, Harp Bartness of Hartland had a great horned owl land on a tank in his yard. I think it's probably the uh, propane tank that the great horned owl is hunting from. Uh, TJ of Medelia uh, found an injured common hawk and uh, with a series of help, we got it to the the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Roseville. Uh, boy, you know, the folks around here are giving a lot of business to that place, and i just uh, so appreciative of the good people that are doing that, plus the good folks at the WRC. So with TJ, Operation Nighthawk has been a success. Uh, Rick Draper, who moved from New Richland to Albert Lee. Everybody's moving. Uh, here goes. I love stories where they start out with, here goes, like, you know, brace yourself. Said so last spring I biked on an old abandoned railroad bed in the, bed in the southwest corner of Elberly, not far from the Audubon Bird Sanctuary. And he said there's an abandoned railroad line, uh, maybe used to head west to Conger, I guess. Anyway, I was deep in the trees heading west, and some sizable wild animal crossed the railroad trail in front of me. 
I didn't see its head. It was rather tall for a wild creature, maybe coyote size, and dark fur, almost black, beautiful fur coat, and the tail was fatter up towards the body and tapered down thin to the end as it had concentric color rings around the tail, rather reminiscent of a raccoon trail. As I walked across the path, more like it walked across the path, more like a dog, I got creeped out enough that I quickly just turned around and left. <laughs> he said, it's not a fisher, it's taller than a fisher, and fishers make a loping walk. Someone said, rather like an otter. Way too nice of a fur coat for a coyote and too dark. Wolverine may be a close guess, but they should be much further north, I think. Have any ideas? Could it be a wolverine? Said he also biked past the OME Church on County 17 and found the first active badger mounds he's seen in decades. Uh, he could see the badger tracks around. He said, powerful, fast diggers they are. Yeah, it's in uh, the ME Church, if somebody's wondering, it's Methodist Episcopal. So I don't know how that worked or if there was a, a church or if it was just two that were combined for a while. It's a beautiful little church kind of out in the middle of nowhere, like where I live. So it's pretty neat. Uh, boy, what you saw, the raccoon tail, or the raccoon-like tail stumps me, uh, Rick, is it is something we don't see in Minnesota other than on a raccoon, maybe at the zoo, red panda. <laughs> ring-tailed lemur, ring-tailed cat, which is a native to North America, or coati. Uh, the wolverine is presumed extirpated from Minnesota. Um, there's some argument either one or two have been confirmed in Michigan in the past 200 years. Wisconsin saw one in 1870. They are found in Canada, primarily in northern and western. I do see one in Alaska, but it's at an animal thing. And I call it a thing because I'm not sure what to call it. It's not, it's not research, rehab, or rescue. It's run by a former cameraman on Marty Stauffer's Wild America, and he, it's his business to uh, bring tourists in to look at them. Uh, the animal has uh, a plantigrade posture and it carries a short tail low. I wouldn't expect we'd see one here, Rick, but I didn't expect we'd ever have a pandemic either. So I suspect because you said it was coyote size, I'd say it's a coyote hmm. uh, or a dog because I have no other choices. And uh, good going on finding the badger den. I have photos of a couple of the animals, not from that site, but they aren't the best, but plenty good enough for the likes of me. And I was just so shocked and proud and pleased to see one and my last guess would maybe a sasquatch it wouldn't be a, a sasquatch but maybe the dog of a sasquatch would be my uh, my last guess on that rick uh susan Wag wagner she lives in maine and she said gauk is scottish for cuckoo but it's also become a word for a fool if you were called a hunter gauk then the joke was on you on April 1st. The Gauk Day custom derives in part from young people being led from wood to wood to track the newly arrived spring cuckoos with the hunt the Gauk always staged too early for the birds to be found. Typical Gauk Day pranks involve, evolve from these uh, fool's errands. The traditional prank was to ask someone to deliver a sealed message 
requesting help of some sort. When the note was open on delivery, the nature of the errand was revealed. Didn't laugh, didn't smile, hunt the gout another mile was the message. The daft missions further evolved with reports of people being sent to the butcher shop for items such as uh, a gill of pigeon milk. I wonder what a gill is. Hmm. How much? I, I should have looked that up. It's got to be some Scottish weight. But, yeah, there is pigeon milk, but it's... Uh, I checked at uh, at the local supermarket, and they don't have any pigeon milk. So. It would be pretty expensive because I can't imagine that it that, that they produce a lot like the Holstein cow does. No, oh, um, I heard from TJ too. Uh, TJ lives in Medelia. Tom Jessen, wonderful guy. He said, "I have the question of the day: If all worms and night crawlers were introduced in North into North America." What did the robins eat before European settlers arrived? Oh, good Berries question. and caterpillars? Yeah. yeah, it's a wonderful question. And, and TJ, you got it. They fed on insects because they'll easily eat a uh, hundred different species of insects. They'll eat some invertebrates and berries. So when the uh, worms arrived to those robins, I would guess it was like it was as if a McDonald's had opened on their block. I would think that's what it was. They were there was probably all kinds of celebrations and and now they are so intertwined those two when people think of robins they think of two things. Well maybe a harbinger of spring and worms. They're eating worms. So it's uh, it's pretty neat and that's a great question. Hey, so you're talking uh, about so worms. You know, jumping worms are becoming an issue now. The the uh, jumping worms that are also have been imported from wherever. Do the robins like those? Because I know they're pretty quick and they wiggle around a lot versus the earthworms. I'll bet they do. I, I'd uh, bet money that they will eat earthworms. No, no, or, uh, jumping, uh, worms. jumping worms. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because uh, they're, uh, I, I haven't read anything that they taste terrible or anything. It might be a little bit harder for them to catch, and if one jumps up at them, it might shock them a little bit. <laughs> but other than that, I, I have no... I hope they eat a lot of them. I do, too. I've never seen any. Have you ever? Yes, I'm I'm sad to say I think I've got some in, uh, in some of my, my soil, and I know they're asking people to report when you see the jumping worm to call and report it to the Department of Agriculture because they're kind of track where they're at. It's sort of like the Japanese beetle where yep. there weren't any and all of a sudden now they're everywhere. And I'm sad to say I, I'm pretty sure I've seen them because they act unlike anything else. You know, normally earthworms are sort of there. Well, the jumping worms, they wiggle like, I mean, they literally almost jump and just are really fast and, and they appear a little bit different, but very close. So, yeah. I'd seen a, uh, oh, I was on an online uh, Zoom thing, and I saw a uh, a video of them jumping. They're crazy, and, aren't they? Yeah, it is. It was, and I could, uh, I would imagine it would shock a bird, a robin, the first time, and then yeah. probably after that, the robin would say, yeah, you know, nice try, pal, your lunch from now on. <laughs> so it's, uh, and they... Uh, you know, like I say, none of these guys, uh, none of these worms are native to this no. country. So they they all have some problems, but uh, the earthworms bring a, a lot of good things, too, because uh, they're native. There were native earthworms probably here that were wiped out by the glaciers 
you know, that's been, what, 30, 40 years ago, probably something like that. But they were wiped out. So then we got all these replacement uh, mm-hmm. earthworms and night crawlers and various things, and now jumping worms. Who would ever thought jumping worms? And they really wreck the soil. They make, they, they um, what they do is they make it into a weird texture like coffee ground, so it's hard to grow anything, and so that's why they're such a problem. So if you see any any worms that look like they're hyperactive and jumping around, report them to the ag department. Is there anything you're supposed to do to get rid of them? Well, see, that's the thing. It's kind of like Japanese beetles. They don't really have any good things yet. So the answer is uh, I don't think they really know yet. Maybe they'll eat Japanese beetles or Japanese beetles will eat them in an odd thing (laughs) that would happen. All of a sudden, unprecedented Japanese beetles start eating jumping worms. Yes. Jumping worms start eating Japanese. (laughs) Things never work out that way, though, do they? Ever, it seems like. So it's just... Someone asked, um, and I get this question every year, and I understand why we get it, because if uh, you've been bitten by them, you know, do we get chiggers here? You know, it's a scourge of summer, and there's always enough chiggers to go around. They are here, but they aren't common in Minnesota, and less so as you move farther north in the state. And they're the larvae of mites. They're reddish, yellowish, or orange. They're nearly invisible. And they're found in grassy, weedy, and shrubby areas, especially in wet locations. So they climb foliage, and they grab onto people or animals as we go by. And chiggers do not burrow into our skin. They do not feed on our blood. But they feed externally on liquefied skin cells broken down by their saliva. And the itchy bites are common in areas where clothing is tight and the skin is thin. And the majority of chigger bites occur below the waist. And I've, I've had chigger bites, uh, uh, boy, I've had them in Missouri and Texas and places, and, and I've had them in Minnesota. Uh, only once, fairly bad. And I try the oatmeal soap and uh, cortisone and Benadryl. And uh, seems like the only thing that really works is the passage of time. Sooner or later they stop. But, oh, man, do they itch. So I, I hope if, if a listener has never experienced a chigger, may you never experience <laughs> one. It, it's, there's nothing pleasant about it. And they're just such little things that you you really can't, you know, if a person, if you're out in an area where you think there are chiggers, you know, take a shower right away. But uh, when I got them the worst in Minnesota, I was leading a bird trip. Uh, we got on a, a bus and we drove around and then I had to run to a place for a 50th wedding anniversary party. and So I didn't have time to shower and uh, it, it didn't. It wasn't a good result. Now, they're real small, aren't they? Because I was looking at pictures of them here. Are they little small red things? or can you, you, s- you can't see them. Oh, yeah, you can't can see ready. them. Oh, okay. I, uh, I, they're, I, you can, but they're really they're small. nearly invisible okay. and to the, na- the naked eye anyway. So uh, I imagine a, a youngster with that uh, just crackling great eyesight could probably pick them out but they're little reddish yellowish and orange and for most of us we're not going to see it unless we really get down and say is that something and check it out but 
Um, they don't have them on eye charts. When you go in to have your eyes tested, <laughs> there's a reason they don't have them on there. Well, it's funny, they don't, because then everybody would come out with glasses. But they, uh, they're they really tiny. Okay. And uh, like little no they fight and they bite way above their weight class. How, how can you incredible. distinguish if it was a chigger versus a no Uh The chiggers are little red. You get red bites like little volcanoes, okay. to me anyway. And uh, they last. Ooh. And uh, no seem to go away okay. pretty quickly. Chiggers have, uh, you remember the chiggers. Um, I, I'm not a person who swears, but <laughs> when I have chigger bites, I, you know, I consider words anyway. I still don't <laughs> swear at them because it doesn't do any good, but I, I consider it, uh, taking up cussing just because of chiggers. They will drive people to that. So as will those, uh, black flies or buffalo gnats and things too, will do the same thing. Uh, Robert says, what's the smallest bird in the world? It's the bee hummingbird, Robert, of Cuba. And if you have a penny, it weighs less than that penny. Wow. And, and that's opposed to the, the world's heaviest bird, which would be the ostrich. The world's heaviest flying bird, I would guess it'd be a bustard. B-U-S-T-A-R-D. It's like a custard only with a B. Huh. And that uh, the heaviest one we have here is a uh, trumpeter swan. See, I was uh, thinking a pelican because they look like they're so heavy with those big old beaks, but they're not the heaviest? They're not the heaviest. I've carried a lot of pelicans oh. around, and they're, they're not as near as heavy as they look. I have taken pictures of uh of bustards, oh man, in in Europe, and they're just uh, big old guys walking around on the ground and really cool looking things. But they're big, 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 and uh, like I say, we we certainly do see emus and uh, ostriches around because people have them sometimes on their farm. Sure. And I know there was a, a thing on National Public Radio where a guy talked the whole time about emus and then got all kinds of response from Australians who said it's emu, you, oh. you twit, and so, yeah. Well, we are, you know, so, Midwestern, too, so maybe it's that Midwestern twang we've got. That's right, <laughs> yeah, and that's probably what they're called out on the farm here, so. I have, I, bef- uh, though, before sure. you go, I want to make sure we mention this. Remember you were talking earlier about there's licenses to hunt for sandhill cranes? Yeah. Well, one of our listeners, there's no name or anything identifying this person, but it says the meat is really good on the cranes. That's why some hunt. So there you go. This person obviously has had it before and and says it's good. So there you go. Yeah, and that's I've heard that from hunters saying it's really good. Uh, One did say the the problem was he said it was a big bird and all we eat is the breast meat, but he said it's really good. So I guess uh, that's, yeah, I don't know. I hope everyone uh, stays well and happy and just has a wonderful, wonderful day. I was out the other day uh, going for walks. I'm, I'm a chronic walker and cannot not walk, no matter what the weather it seems. And it was raining ducks and chickens, um, foul weather. And it wasn't a Pinterest perfect day, because think about it, none really ever are. Uh, you see those um, Pinterest things you get and you think wow 
Yeah, I, it just that doesn't happen. I don't think. Well, it, no matter as long as there is no such thing as a dull moment. I kept walking, and I thought, whenever questioning an odd occurrence, the reliable stock answer here in Minnesota has always been, "Well, it must be the weather." That's why people are doing stupid things. Why there were so many <laughs> car accidents. Uh, why the just dumb things happen. Now, it's our universal excuse for everything is it's 2020. So now we have an excuse for everything we do, and nobody can say what's wrong with you. We can just say it's 2020. I hope you don't have to use that excuse today. Remember Heartland as well we're driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, uh, so very much. I appreciate your company. Thank you, Al. We'll chat with you next week. Until then, happy bird watching.